Please be seated. So we have been discussing some things in Tuesday night Bible study that I think are important enough to share with the larger congregation. We've been in 1 Timothy. We're just getting ready to, to really get into 2 Timothy. We're not going to meet this Tuesday because I have an obligation at the hospital, but when we come back the following Tuesday, we're really going to be in um, deep into the first chapter of 2 Timothy. And I say that as an invitation to those of you who normally don't come to Bible study. In light of everything that's going on in the world, if you've turned on the news within the last 24 hours, it's a good time to invest your time in the Scripture, particularly the message that Paul has as he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Now, the first book, the first letter to Timothy that Paul wrote, deals a lot with fighting the good fight of the faith. And Paul mentions that in the sixth chapter of that first letter. And in Bible study, we've talked about how we as Christians are to pursue six things as we fight that good fight. And the six things that we are to pursue as Christians are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And we have talked about how those things are practical and attainable for each of us as believers as we walk by faith, living as travelers, sojourners in this world. And we've said that it was this pursuit of and attainment of faith in Christ that has the ability to lift us up out of the muck and the mire of a dead-end life, out of the muck and the mire of a fallen and broken and, let's face it, altogether wicked world. Lift us up out of that into the abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give us. So when we come back into Bible study Tuesday after this one, we're going to be talking about a passage of Scripture that Paul recorded in his letter to Timothy, wherein he gives us some powerful words of encouragement that each of us can use as we continue to fight this good fight of the faith. And as I read this, I want you to keep a couple of things in mind. Keep the image in your head of walking into a Walmart in El Paso, Texas to pick up your groceries for the week and having someone decide that they want to open fire on you and end your life in this world. Secondly, think that you might be in Dayton, Ohio at this particular time and someone decided that your good time out on the town was going to come to a rather abrupt and bloody end 
because of whatever is going through that gunman's experience. Now let's be really clear here at the risk of getting political. These are people who have committed these atrocities. And whether they choose to drive a truck through a marketplace in Germany or whether they choose to use a handgun or an assault rifle, whatever that is, it's people that are the problem. People that are not adhering to the Word of God as God has given it to us. Primarily because they have not been exposed to the Word. And so Paul, in this letter to Timothy, I'm in 2 Timothy, the first chapter at verse 1, if you care to follow along. Paul writes, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, and you can put into parentheses, and everyone in shepherd. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he begins with thanksgiving and encouragement. He says, I am grateful to God who I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. Now, if, if you don't have a grandmother Lois or a, or a mother Eunice, you very well could. These are down-to-earth folks. And I'm, I'm touched by that he includes their names here because this is very personal and it should be personal to you as well that he's reminded this is the inspired word of God make no mistake about it God is reminded of your sincere faith a faith that first lived in your grandmother whatever her name is and your mother whatever her name is and now I'm sure lives in you for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the peace. And I know I tell you time and time again, never take a verse out of context. If you're going to take a verse and write it on a piece of paper and stick it to your mirror as a reminder to you every day of who you are as a child of the Most High God, this is the one. Because as you have to face the stuff that goes on in the world out there, that's one verse that reminds you that God did not give you a spirit of cowardice. Other versions say timidity. You're not timid. God gave you a spirit 
other than being timid. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Why is that important? Well, if we skip a little bit down in those verses in chapter 1, Paul tells us, that for this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And you as ministers of the faith have been appointed by Jesus Christ himself as heralds and apostles and teachers. And he also says for this reason I suffer as I do. There is suffering in the world. And that as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will experience the same type of suffering that Jesus experienced in his earthly ministry on the way to the cross. Where he died for you and for me. Where he was buried and where he was resurrected. There will be suffering. Now, we discussed this a little bit, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's one worth going down because we talked about the conventional wisdom of the world versus biblical truth. The conventional wisdom of the world says that God will never give you more suffering than you can handle. How many have heard that? How many have kind of taken that as, as, a, as a comforting little slogan of reassurance? That's okay. I'm just here to tell you that that is the world's wisdom. That is not biblical truth. I know where we get it from. Because if you look in scripture, it says that God will never give you more temptation without first providing you a way out of the temptation. You will never get more temptation than you can handle without God providing a way out of the temptation. Now let's just be very clear here. Temptation is not suffering. Too often we try to mix the two together. The truth is that suffering comes in a fallen and broken world. And the reality is most of the time, if the suffering gets intense enough, it's more than we can handle as individuals on our own. You walk into any hospital room in the big medical center downtown in the intensive care unit and you say to the patient if they're awake and conscious can I take that pain medication and all these machines off of you? Can I take the medical care away from you? And if they happen to be people of faith would you mind if we just didn't pray about any of this? And see how long they can endure the suffering on their own. It's just more than we can bear. God allows more suffering than we can bear in this world. 
He doesn't cause it, but he does allow it to happen. But he provides for ways for us to deal with it outside of our own power. Because it's never been about willpower, it's always been about God's power. And so, biblical truth is that as you go out into the world and do what you've been appointed to do, do what you've been called to do as a herald and an apostle and a teacher, as a minister of the faith, you will suffer as Paul did, as Jesus did, as all of us do. But, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. For I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. And so Paul says, hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, and guard the good treasure that's been entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in you. What does that mean? It means that Paul tells us very clearly that we have the faith within us as believers, the faith in Christ Jesus that fills our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And that faith that dwells in us gives us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of discipline. We have power. We have authority. Now you might be thinking authority. Pastor, what authority do I have over really anything? It seems to me, in my experience in this world, as if most everything and everybody has authority over me. I'm only one person. What power or authority could I possibly have? What impact could I possibly have in the world as one person? Well, that's the world screaming its conventional wisdom at you again. Because the truth is that Jesus gave you authority. The ability to exercise that authority with power over both the natural and the supernatural realms. You've been given authority by Jesus himself over spirits that rule and reign over rulers and kings and kingdoms. You've been given authority over the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. All of that comes to you from Ephesians 6. You have been given authority over all of that. And it's God-given, Christ-mandated authority that we have the ability to have impact in the world. And by that same authority, we should feel empowered, emboldened to step out with confidence beyond these walls as we go as ministers of the faith into this community and approach the scary homeless people. Approach those who are different than us. 
approach those who are strangers to us. As we approach them in kindness and love, the spirit of love that Paul talks to us about. We've been in, given authority to do that. And so not only do we have the authority, but we have the motivation to act as ministers of faith in the world. We've been given a spirit of love. So when we proclaim the gospel message to the world, we do so bringing the love of Christ to bear on the moment. We bring the love of Christ to bear on the situation, on the circumstances, on the things that are going on in the world that need Christ's love and influence the homeless people who are sick and tired of being sick and tired they need the love of Jesus in their lives and sometimes all it takes is a bag of something that they need a tarp to keep the weather off of them a kind word instead of a Skedaddle. We don't want you around here. We bring the love of Christ into the circumstance, into the situation. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I were to give away all of my possessions, and if I were to hand over my very body to be a martyr so that I might boast... Look at me. But I don't have love. I have gained nothing. It's this love that's inherent in faith that we carry with us into all of those encounters with people. Any and all moments where we proclaim the testimony of Jesus Christ, our own personal testimony of how He's done things for us, it's the spirit of love that validates our testimony. And then the final thing in that phrase from first, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. We have the authority, we have the motivation, that being the love of Jesus. We've also been given the spirit of discipline. Self-control. Self-discipline. Great Power comes with great responsibility. You've heard that before, right? Great power and authority tempered with great love makes for a self-disciplined disciple of Jesus who demonstrates gentleness and endurance and faith and love and godliness and righteousness, all those things that Paul says we're supposed to pursue as we pursue the faith. And it's through the spirit of discipline that we're able to join with Paul as he asks us to do in suffering for the gospel, 
because we have the ability now to rely on the power of God to accomplish the mission at hand to which we've been appointed. And the mission that Paul appoints us to is really very simple. If you look at verse 11 and 12. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher and for this reason I suffer as I do. You have been appointed a herald. It's an appointment. It's a, it's a mandate. It's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Well, what does a herald do, Pastor? They proclaim the message of the gospel. The good news that Jesus came to save sinners. The good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the message of the herald of the gospel. You're also appointed an apostle. Well, what, do, what do apostles do? Apostles are sent by God into the world as the first missionaries of the gospel message to a community, to a region, to a tribe, to a nation. Apostles are sent to reach the unreached for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. And you may ask the question, are there unreached people in our community today? You betcha. And all you have to do is hand them a bag of stuff, right? You are appointed a teacher. Jesus mandated that we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. People out there really just need to know what it is that Jesus said. People don't play by the rules because they haven't been taught the rules. And it's up to us as the church to teach them. And that's why we have Tuesday night Bible study. Because when you attend Bible study, you are being equipped to be a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And if I could be so bold as to say, as much as I love standing up here and preaching the gospel, we can't have the discussions that we need to have, you and I, when I'm on the pulpit and you're in the pew. But we can when we sit around the table. When it's us having a conversation rather than me preaching and you receiving. When you study in the company of fellow believers then you become a disciple who is gaining knowledge so you can go be a discipler to the fallen, the broken, the hurting world. And so as I wrap up here this morning, 
Fighting the good fight of the faith requires that we be equipped and encouraged. And Paul's teaching is God breathed for that purpose, for the equipping of the saints. That's you to do the work of ministry in the world. It's not a mission for the faint of heart. There's ugly stuff happening out there. But take this thought with you from Matthew. When Jesus gave us the mandate to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you, the last thing he said after he gave us that mandate, that great commission, he said, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as you put on the mantle of herald, of apostle, of teacher, when you feel like you have great big shoes to fill by all the people who have held that title before you, remember that you go with power and love and discipline that was given to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.